Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks and a hood episode of Heat Rocks as we are taping in the kitchen. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, fire, combustible, an album that bangs eternally. And today we will be scrolling back together into the 1974 album Adjustments by Los Angeles' own Bill Withers. In some ways, the story of Bill Withers' career is a numbers game. It started with his first hit, released in his Jesus year, when he was 33. Over the span of his career, he's been nominated for four Grammys, won three, this across eight albums. But when you ask most people about Bill Withers' discography, they'll more often than not reference just one of seven songs. You know them, Lean On Me, Ain't No Sunshine, Lovely Day, Use Me, Grandma's Hands, Who Is He, and What Is He to You. To be sure, all of those are jams, heat rocks. But the story of Bill Withers' career has to include his story of a black man growing up in coal mining country in the 40s, of a black man and his stint in the Navy, his 9 to 5 as an airplane mechanic, his battles with Columbia Records, and A&R men who he famously called antagonistic and redundant. And of that voice, that voice, yes, that one. Adjustments was his third album, and it debuted in the spring of 1974, just before his label, Sussex Records, went belly up. It's heavy, introspective, pointed, and powerful about the responsibility of choice. This is grown folks' music, not because of explicit lyrics, more because of implicit content. Content that made me wonder how much of this was observational and how much was personal. Mm. Was some of this about the state of his union? Either way, Adjustments, in my opinion, is an intimate experience, a conversation and some tea between just the two of us. In some ways, the story of Bill Withers' career is the story of this album, quietly prolific, perhaps tragically underrated, but still Mm. Bill, full of heat rocks from a free thinker. Born on the 4th of July. Adjustments was the album pick of our guest today, singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist Joey Dosick. Last year, when I was watching the Brett Haley film, Hearts Beat Loud, a song came on during a scene and it had gorgeous gospel piano chords and dulcet vocals that instantly gave it a mid-career Donny Hathaway feel. Mm. One web search later, and I was introduced to Game Winner, Joey Dosick's composition from 2016. A Los Angeles native, Joey began gigging locally as a high schooler, but his career really took shape when he left the Southland for Ann Arbor, Michigan. Shout out to my birth city, where Joey played with 
build an arc in Dear Disco, amongst other groups, including the core musicians that eventually return to Los Angeles in the form of the group Wolfpack, whom Joey has frequently collaborated with when he hasn't been busy with his own releases, the most recent of which was his solo debut LP from last year, Inside Voice, an album that includes stories originally written and recorded by one William Withers on the album, Justments. Joey, welcome to Heat Rocks. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for having me. I think we, we, we can all collectively say that we are so glad that you picked a Bill Withers album. Uh, speaking just for myself, I celebrate the man's entire catalog. And before we get into the specifics of this album, can we just talk a little bit about how you discovered Withers? And more to the point, what does his music mean to you, especially as someone who's covered one of his songs? I feel like we all kind of discover him around the campfire, sort of. It's like there's, you said it, there's songs that we all know. You know, you, I think you mentioned seven songs, but if we were all in a bar and we all needed to sing a song together in the bar, like Lean On Me is probably up there as one of the first choices. So I think we kind of all find out about him through just this sort of, this cultural knowing. We all just know the know this song. It's a part of our our collective culture somehow. Um, but that's not how I found Justman's, which is one of his kind of hidden records. Yeah, yeah. Speak on it. Well, I found Justman's in my uh, ex-girlfriend's record collection. Um, I was dating someone at the time who was working at the hospital. She was in med school, and she would spend a lot of time away from the apartment. Um, I was kind of crashing with her at the time. <laughs> And uh, Adjustments was one of the records that I found in her record collection. And I would put it on and play along with the record. And hmm. it was just like, oh, this is a Bill Withers album. It didn't, it didn't necessarily stand out to me because I wasn't familiar with this whole catalog. And then later I found it and um, had an ex you know, the kinds of experiences where you have to like, when I first time I heard stories where I had to like pull over and listen to it a few times. And whenever an album kind of does that yeah. to me, it usually is one that is going to last my whole life. I mean, Morgan, you were telling us before we started taping that until you prepped for the show, you actually had never even known about the album. And to be fair, I mean, this was his third studio album, but it was one that was not released on CD until 2010. So for a lot of people who probably know that the first two albums and all the songs on there by heart, it's easy to see how this would have flown under the radar. So I am dying to know what your thoughts were listening to this for the first time. I'm kind of jealous, actually. I mean, and I'm jealous of you guys because I didn't hear it until late. So my first thought was like, well, damn, you know, and actually the damn was my first thought. Um, <laughs> where have I been was the first thought. And as I said in the intro, it just felt really intimate. Like I listened, I needed to listen to that by myself, um, how personal it was. My introduction to Bill Withers was um, Ain't No Sunshine. And I don't remember the specific person that bumped it, but I just remember hearing it as, as, a, as a youth. And me and my cousins um, trying to see how many of those, I know, I know, I know, I know, how many we could do without running out of breath. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm 
had I known that he was going to say it 26 times, I probably just would have not made this a contest because we never lasted. We get halfway through and then we just start laughing. But I just remember the quality of his voice and uh, something that we call smothered. You know, you can have um, pork chops or you can have them smothered. You can have hash browns, you can have them smothered. Mm. Bill Withers' voice is smothered. Mm. And that was the feeling that I had listening to this album, um, which was personal to me because I felt like he let us in on some things um, on the DL. Like, I'm not going to tell you what perspective I know these, where this is coming from, but I'm going to let you in on a little bit of tea. And that was the feeling that I had listening to this album. This is a little bit of tea um, on him and what was going on in his life at the time. And I was blown away. It is, it, it is a thing of beauty. Right. And to Morgan's point, I mean, part, partly what I'm assuming you're talking about is that he recorded this album and was working on it during the point at which him and his uh, his wife, uh, Denise Nicholas, were in the process of breaking up and divorcing. And it, sh- it should be added because this has been out there for many years. But but uh, the rumors have been, I think, uh, Nicholas in particular has stated that, that there was physical abuse happening in the marriage and that was part of it. And so this is part of the broader backstory that's going on. Um, he was married to Denise Nicholas, but there are a lot of songs that I think are are not getting to, to the specifics of, of what might have happened, but just a little hint of what might have happened. And because they were hints, there were parts of me that felt like, should I be, should I be knowing? Um, but I think... Bill wanted to tell without telling. And so it, it had a very, I just felt like, ooh, like this is not an album that you listen to with people. This is an album that you mm. listen to by yourself, or at least that was my feeling. I listened to the album for years before knowing it was a divorce record. Mm. I had no idea until uh, Bomani Jones. Um, yeah. Until <laughs> he, he tweeted it out. And I was like, what? Really? And then yeah. you start to see it a whole other way. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's so much, I mean, with all the records that we love that, that is that are that is hidden that are hidden, you know. Including for me um, as a musician and a producer, there's so much um, even about the band and the story of Bill Withers and his band that is a hidden story. Like this album was co-produced by Melvin Dunlap and James Gadson, mm-hmm. two members of original 103rd Street Watts band, which became Bill Withers' band and really helped define his sound. And those guys are part of this kind of hidden story, too. Um, this is the only record they really got, like, production credit on, even though they really helped to find, I think, that kind of smothered sound, as you smothered. say. It's, mm. it's an amazing, like, it's so funky, but it's almost, like, not electric. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's like, I guess I said campfire before. It's like campfire funk, yeah. you know, but not, like, in a terrible hippie way. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Morgan, I love this idea of the smothered voice because I think one of the interesting things about Withers, maybe more so on his earlier albums than on this one, but nonetheless is that of the major soul acts, especially in the early 70s, I think one of the distinguishing differences about Withers as compared to, let's say, a Marvin or a Stevie or a Donnie or an Al Green is that Withers didn't come up in the church. He wasn't a gospel singer at any point. I think that you, I think that really distinguishes both his vocal and his musical approach, at least on his early albums, because there's not as much of the gospel feel 
that you would have gotten from a lot of the other like Motown era or some of the Southern um, uh, singers who all came out of that that background. And I'm wondering, especially Morgan, for you as someone who has spent a lot of time listening to gospel over the years, was that apparent to you in listening to Bill that he wasn't a church kid unlike a lot of the other 60s, 70s guys? Absolutely. One is because of how you're taught to sing when you grow up in the church. And I've said this before. It doesn't matter if you're a gospel singer and black music. It doesn't matter if your song is about rubber bands. You better <laughs> sing about rubber bands like your life depends on it. It's the way you <laughs> phrase it, right? I felt like because he was from a coal mining town West Virginia, in West Virginia that he was more, more folky. And the way he sang was more folky and less gospely. And I think, unfortunately, that's why he's been so underrated, because we tend to judge gospel R&B singers based on their gospel chops, and it's a part of their biography that's released over and over again. But I also think that was part of the appeal of Bill Withers, that he didn't sound like all these people that we're talking about, that he didn't have that in his background, and that he was qualified to talk about every man, and we'll get to certain songs when he starts to go into Railroad, that I don't think that's something that we would have heard from Marvin Gaye or Billy Preston or Al Green or Donny Hathaway, that there was a different burden that they were singing about, which was different than what Bill Withers was singing about. Joey, I want to get... You, your thoughts on this in just a second, but if I can just quickly add something. I think one of the interesting and distinguishing things about Withers is that while him and his other contemporaries at the time certainly might have all come from working class backgrounds, Withers, I think, to your point, Morgan, speaks about that in a way that's much more direct, which I don't think you necessarily get from a lot of the other musicians that he might, that again, might have had working class backgrounds, but in their music, you wouldn't necessarily know. But with Withers, that always felt like it was part of it. Right. And um, not so much um, civil rights, which I think was another burden of growing up in this in this era and in this time and in R&B musicians that there had to be. That he was dealing with different things, and it didn't seem like he was dealing with demons. Mm-hmm. It just felt like he was making, these were working class observations of a life in a coal mining town that if you're not from there, you wouldn't know what he was talking about. Right. And he was, I think he was a dock worker before he his music career launched here in Los Angeles, probably right. down on Long Beach or the he made Harbor, a, and so that's part of it. He installed Toilets. toilets onto 747s. There you go. Yeah. Okay, so it was an aerospace, but again, like you, you were very blue collar in that sense. And also, the part of his biography that's that's the most interesting is like blowing up at 33. That oh, yeah. right. you know what I'm saying? Right. That most people that blew up that you're talking about had started in the church, so 18, 19, and they had come up. But to blow up at 33, when in everyone's economy is like at that point, you're supposed to know what you're going to be when you grow up, yeah. and to leave what would be considered a stable nine to five, be it you know installing toilets or not, that's a stable nine to five, and to be like you know what I'm I'm going to try and sing out here. That's one of the most interesting things about Bill Withers mm. is that his 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 rise to fame is so non-traditional and even his career path because this is his third album and i feel like the sort of trajectory of so many artists back then was okay by your third album that's when you hit yep you know it's (laughs) like your first couple even like your fourth album like your first couple like we're gonna make you a record and then we're gonna put you on the road opening for somebody you're gonna build up a fan base and then third record like for someone like tom petty or whatever it's like that's when it hits and he hit right right off the bat. He had something to say. Just like you said, like that really blew my mind. The whole I had this whole idea of um, you know, that he's not really necessarily coming from a gospel place. And I wonder if that also is one of the reasons why someone like me, like a Jew from the valley, born years later, can even really um it was just more accessible 
on some level for me. I was always related to him also because we have the same vocal range pretty much. So singing his songs taught me a lot about singing. Mm. And not only that, it's like I'm not from the church. And so to sing his song was something that I could more easily kind of embody and Mm -hmm. try and sort of just, yeah, it was more accessible on some level. Joy, to bring this back to adjustments in particular, I mean, you you could have brought in, you know, Still Bill or Just As I Am. Why did you want to talk about this one in particular? What is it about adjustments? I think it's just like, like I said before, like anytime an album makes me pull over on the side of the road, Mm -hmm. like (laughs) I'm going to be coming back to you often. And um, that's what the track Stories had done to me. Mm, Um, mm, mm. There's other tracks on this record that like, I'm willing, you know, I'm willing to, uh, to do whatever for, like, if I could have written that song, I would have, I'd given my left arm, um, like, uh, Heartbreak Road. I mean, still, Bill, timeless album. Yeah. To me, like, Justman's has those timeless moments, but it's also so human. It's also so raw. Like, there's so many mistakes everywhere. Like, mm. there's so much out of tuneness from the strings sometimes. It's like, mm. it's really, there's so much humanity in it to me. And still, Bill also has that humanity. But I mean, it's fun to talk about too, because, like, not that many people really know about it. Right. Is this your favorite Bill Withers album? Mm. I think. Weirdly, and we were talking about it earlier, like maybe my favorite is the Live at Carnegie Hall album. I mean, that's an amazing album. Yeah. Um, just because like to hear what that music means to so many people in a audible space, like the right. crowd is so lit on that record and I <laughs> love it so much. Morgan, I'm curious as someone who, again, just literally came to this album in the last week how maybe this is an unfair question to ask, but how where where would you put it within his broader catalog? That's a good question, and it, and it is unfair because now this has just messed up my whole Bill Withers thing. Thanks a lot, Joey. <laughs> Damn it! But before I would have been like, hands down, there's nothing better than Just as I Am. Mm. And now I'm like, maybe I would push this above because did I get caught up on the singles? Did I get caught up on the hits of Just as I Am? Right. And didn't look further. And I think because you bought up this album and it forced me to listen to it for the first time, I can't, I'll never take away from Grandma's Hands and I'll never take away from Ain't No Sunshine. But this, this has made me feel different about his discography. I'm not an expert in ranking albums, but this pushed this a little bit further up the chain than I would have thought of before. Right. And I don't know what the hits were on this album. They weren't really. There were two songs that charted. I think it was uh, a track to... Uh, the Same Love That Made Me Laugh. Yep. It was the only mm. one that I think really charted with any kind of staying power at all. Billboard? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And um and Heartbreak Road, right. I think was like on the R and B charts. But I don't think anything off of here is really considered part of Withers like greatest hit mm-hmm. his portfolio, which is unfortunate because I think song for song, actually I would take this over still bill. Yeah. As good as the songs yeah, on yeah. there. I think part of it and not to go too too far off on a tangent, but Joe, I was thinking about your 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 campfire comparison. And I think perhaps because we've heard Lean on Me too many times around the campfire, I'm not saying it's a bad song. I'm just saying I never need to listen to it again. Like it's at this point because of overfamiliarity, it's perhaps my least favorite Bill Withers <laughs> song. And it's not for any intrinsic deficiency 
in terms of song craft, it's like I just don't need to ever hear it again. Oh, lean on me? Yeah. 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 I want to say something about um, about Heartbreak Road and also just in general, that there are some of the best lyrics on this album and I paid attention to them in a way that I haven't. And 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 just I got to be honest with you guys, I have been really caught up on the hits of Bill Withers. So when I was talking about reference, most people referencing those hits, I was sort of talking about myself, right? Even though I know a lot about Bill Withers, but I tend to like those come up right away. And on, in prep for this chat, because I had no introduction to this album besides getting ready for this, I paid a lot of attention to the lyrics. And there are some of the best one-liners on this album. Mm. Heartbreak Road, I like where he says, I believe that love's a good teacher when you're in it. Girl, Lord, and even if it don't work out, you ain't gonna never understand it till you've been all down in it. It's just a beautiful, beautiful song from start to finish, but I love how it ends. Any impressions listening to it now and prep for this chat? Any new things jump out at you that might not have jumped out at you the first time you listen? Um, well, I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like I got a bit bolder with some of my like judgmental opinions. You know what I mean? Like before, I was kind of just like listening to it and and with a certain reverence. And in prepping for this. You know, we were talking about an amazing song, Can We Pretend? Yeah. Oh my which God. I know you wanted to talk about, which is incredible. But also, like, my producer brain is like, can somebody, like, not give Jose Feliciano so much cocaine before he records what? that acoustic guitar? You're taking shots on <laughs> Jose I'm, Feliciano? I am, in yo, this? I'm sorry. I'm World sorry. Star. I'm sorry. I'm going to start, okay? And I love Jose Feliciano, but he's kind of, he's playing all over the track, sort of. Paint a portrait of tomorrow with the colors bright and gay. It's kind of cool. Like, it's kind of cool, but it's also kind of not. Wow. <laughs> so, like, guess if you ever got your hands on the, on the master tapes, you're just sort of take, <laughs> taking that slider on Jose's guitar track and just like, yeah, can we just like, can we just, someone gave him too much coffee. <laughs> so that, that's, that's just what happened. That's one of my favorite tracks still. Oh my it God. says something about that song. It's like, despite the kind of like noodly guitar for me, like, I love that song. That's, that's maybe one of my top two, three favorite songs on that Same. record. Same. We will be back with more of our discussion about Bill Withers' adjustments after a brief word from a couple of our sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. Hi, I'm Renee Colbert. I'm Alexis Preston. And we're the hosts of the smash hit podcast, Can I Pet Your Dog? Now, Alexis. Yes. We got big news. Uh Uh-oh. Since last we did a promo, our dogs have become famous. World famous. World, like, stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Second big news. Mm -hmm. The reviews are in. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Take yourself to Apple Podcasts. You know what you're going to hear? We're happy. It's true. We're a delight, a great distraction from the world. I like that part a lot. So if that's what you guys are looking for, mm-hmm. you got to check out our show. But what else can they expect? We've got dog tech, dog news, celebrities with their dogs, all dog things. All the dog things. So if that interests you, well, get yourself on over to Maximum Fun every Tuesday. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we host Round Springfield. Round Springfield is a new Simpsons podcast that is Simpsons adjacent. Mm -hmm. Um, In its topic, we talk to Simpsons writers, directors, voiceover actors, you name it, about non-Simpsons things that they've done. Because, surprise, they're all extremely talented. Absolutely. For example, David X. Cohen worked on The Simpsons, but then created a little show called Futurama. Mm -hmm. That's our very first episode. So tune in for stuff like that with Yardley Smith, with Tim Long, with different writers and voice actors. It's going to be so much fun. And we are every other week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. And we are back on Heat Rocks with Joey Dulcic talking about Bill Withers' third album, Adjustments. And this is the gentrified version of uh, this episode because the power's back on. (laughs) And we're back in our studio. That's it. Before we get back into the specific songs, though I, I'm, I'm dying to get back to the, those, but can we just talk and pull the scope back for a second? And you had mentioned in your intro, Morgan, the idea of this album as being a bit of an allegory for just Withers in general and the idea that maybe like the album Withers is slightly underregarded, which seems like on the one hand, a weird thing to say about someone who has such a great, like a potent greatest hits catalog. But on the flip side, if you were to ask, I think, the average person, like, name the, the most important or the best soul singer, male singers from the 1970s, you would get Marvin, you would get Al Green, you might get Downey, whatever. You're going to get Stevie. Yeah. You know who you're not going to hear? You're not going to hear Bill Withers. Mm. And maybe this speaks a little bit to some of the things that we were talking about in the first half about the differences in his voice, the kind of the difference in his kind of working class background, the fact that he was in his 30s when he first hit. But it's really weird to me to think about him being someone who was enormously successful, yet kind of overlooked, like, and how to reconcile that dichotomy, if you will. I'm wondering how each of you think of this. I'm always surprised that his name doesn't come up. And in some instances, I haven't brought it up. Mm. We've talked about R&B, great R&B albums or great R&B artists even on this show. We also haven't mentioned him. That's no slight on us. I think it's just to the point that we tend to associate these, you know, we tend to associate great R&B singers and albums with gospel basses and with the hits. I'm not surprised that this went under everyone's radar. This isn't even a a highly regarded breakup album. If you think about breakup albums and R&B singers, you're going to go with Hear My Dear. This isn't Hear My Dear. But this isn't Hear My Dear because... To me, Bill Withers didn't carry his feelings on his sleeve. That's what's so surprising about this album is that it's so intimate for someone that presents as very stoic to me and guarded and anthemic. I think it's unfortunate that he doesn't get regarded as, as, as in the same light as these artists. It doesn't take anything away from his talent. He's just a different type of soul singer. Absolutely. He didn't, he didn't fit into that classic mold as um, a black soul singer. As you said earlier, I think when we weren't recording you mentioned the fact that he had a guitar yeah you know an acoustic guitar and how that really separates him too it really was different different yeah i didn't think about the guitar aspect but i think in this kind of gets into the ways in which we code music racially depending on instrumentation and the acoustic guitar 
for reasons that I don't think really hold up to just history, but whatever reason, it gets coded as white and it folk does. and rock. And somehow like soul singers and R&B don't have access to acoustic guitars. But nonetheless, I think part of those, those associations are what weighs on Withers in terms of how he gets remembered within the kind of canon, if you will, yeah. of, of soul, soul artists. But he did have his, yeah, he had as much crossover success as any of those kind of big names that Huge. we that yeah. we mentioned. Getting back into the individual songs. So, Morgan, you were saying that Can We Pretend is your fire track. That's my fire track. Yeah. Joey, how about you? What's your fire track off of this album? Is this, is this, some, is this like fire track? Like <laughs> You can interpret it any way you want. Okay, but great. Generally, I would say it's the song that every time you hear it, it, it just charges you. Okay. It lights I'm, you up. I I'm, then I'm going to make my own rules and make two fire tracks. Okay. I'm going to Go say Stories okay. is the one that changed my life. And I'm going to say Heartbreak Road is just the banger on this record. Right. You mentioned the banger aspect. Let's start with Heartbreak Road. So what is it about that that just has you juice? It's so like, first of all, like the bass and the drums sound almost like a drum machine. Like it's just so tight and simple. And it's just like all beaten together at the same time. <laughs> Just like all right there. And then as a song, like I said earlier, it's just like any generation stylistically, you could take that song and do it any kind of way. Like if that song had been in the 50s, if that song had been in the mm. 80s, like it's it's still it's still what it is. Like it's timeless. I never thought about the drum machine comparison, but now that I hear it, I can't unhear it. <laughs> Once again, shout out to James Gadson for just being in the pocket. Always. Know, always. Absolutely. And then your other one is Stories, which would make sense because you covered the song. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, I mean, for me, Stories is the fire track. Mm. I mean, not because it's necessarily the most energetic, but simply that it is a song that, it, to use your, your analogy earlier, Joey, that it's the song that kind of just stops me dead in the tracks. And, you know, I was trying to parse apart what is it. And I think part of it is the intro. Oof. And we talked about how he doesn't have necessarily a church or gospel background, but I, I feel like those intro piano on this song in particular draws from that. And I did notice that I think one of the pianists who play on this album, I don't know if he's playing on this song in particular, but John Miles was working, was one of the personnel on this album. And Miles had his start with the Swan Silvertones mm -hmm. in the 1960s, which was a big, big gospel group. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe Miles brought some of that in. And man, when he comes in with those that, those first set of vocals. Who will buy a glad story that a young man has to tell? Ooh, I mean, I still get shivers with it. And is this not one of just his best vocal performances man. on anything? Yeah. Definitely oh, yeah. one. Well, you know who, who was also on this track is Dorothy Ashby. Yes, yeah. indeed. With harp. The harp. So, yeah, playing harp. Like, the fact that he had 
Dorothy Ashby and Jose Feliciano on this record is also kind of like <laughs> an amazing, like this being a cult album with two like total cult heroes yeah. musically, right? Um, which I think is really cool. But I agree with you that this may be, this is an all-time Bill Withers vocal performance. Mm-hmm. When you tackled your cover for the song, how did you decide to approach it? Well, I had started using the song before I recorded it. I was use I used it um, in my live shows. I had been opening for a lot of other bands, and when you open for bands, you're playing for a crowd that's not yours, and so you have to either win them over or give them a reason to mm. shut up mm. when you're playing shows. And so, I took that song and I would start shows. And I would just come out and sing that song a cappella. Mm. And it would quiet the whole room. Come into my house of lonely. And I will treat you well. Young and old, we all have stories that we all must try. I mean, being on tour, it made me feel and connect with my job, which is just like I'm here traveling to tell my stories (laughs) in general. And that song is just like it sets the table. Yeah. And so when I I I then decided to record it and uh, it kind of just felt like it should be part of the record. Like I think it being my first full length record, sometimes like having a. Uh, a cover, I think, could be good juju. Like to have just like <laughs> one tasteful cover on it. Yeah. So you know, I tried to do my best with it. I'm, I'm curious though, in terms of you did not want to, you didn't record it very loyal in the sense that you weren't trying to copy the instrumentation or the original arrangement. I mean, you're using primarily the choral voices more rather than piano and and, and the other instruments. And so I'm just curious, curious, what was behind some of those creative choices? Well, I. I also wanted to have some moments on my record that didn't have any piano because I'm I that's what that's one of the main things that I do is I sit down at the piano and right. sing and I'd like to write songs that could just be done just piano and voice and so there's so much piano on my record that I tried to make something that did not have that and so that track is just percussion and claps and and voices yeah. In terms of fam- favorite moments on this album, mine is the beginning of Railroad Man because it starts out with a conversation between Bill and Jose, which, to your point, you know, thinking back now that you brought it up, somebody might have been high in that moment. <laughs> But I love that it opens up with a little bit of spoken word. Uh, when I was a little boy back in West Virginia, we lived very close to a railroad track. That's Jose on Congas. And I remember I used to dream about them trains and where they might go and the people that worked on the trains. One of the things that I like about it is it is personal, that he's interacting with one of his band members, that yes, um, Jose, that heretofore is always known for the guitar thing, is on congas. And on top of that, 
I love this song in general because I think this song in general is about pain. Mm-hmm. It's about a man of mystery who changes his name based on him going to different cities. But I also think it's about the grueling nature of having to travel to different places all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know um, if he fell in front of the train or he stepped in front of the train on purpose. And that Bill Withers, is, to me, is talking a little bit about depression. That Not just that I know this life of a working-class man working on a train, but I know what it's like to be isolated, to have to be in different cities, and to perhaps consider choices that everybody else wouldn't consider. Mm. And that it starts out so instrumental with just a conversation. And I think what he's asking, Jose, is, do you know what this life is about? Do you know what it's like to travel all the time for your career? And to be sad and to be someone different in city, from city to city. Um, but I love the banter between them. And to your point, just listening back, you know, I think that some sort of pharmaceuticals might have been involved <laughs> at the beginning because they sound hella relaxed, right? Oh, They're yeah. hella relaxed. But, but I love that. I think it's intimate and I think it is a story about one man's pain. Joey, do you have a favorite moment off of this album? I actually, I really love the way that the whole album starts. Like, there's, there's some patience there. I think I used to listen to this album on when I'd go on runs and mm. I actually love the way the table gets set on this record. You want to take me to a doctor. The band comes in and they're already burning but they're not maxed out yet. I think it's a it's a really special first track that's just like so hypnotic mm-hmm. and like I said it doesn't doesn't have a chorus it's just like I've got some shit I need to talk about mm-hmm. it's just like I need to get this off my chest and I'm going in and like I've got my family here to support me <laughs> too like really supportive one of the best lines from that song is where he says you're pouring muddy water on me trying to convince me that it's rain Mm-hmm. Man, gems. <laughs> Fire, he's got bars. Bill's got totally. bars on here, and it is it to me. It is about perception, but also about hypocrisy. Like while you're judging, putting a finger at someone, you got three fingers pointing back at yourself. Mm. And it is about choice. And he talks about smoking up and you know coping. And damn, pharmaceuticals come up a lot through this album <laughs> or in this discussion. But um, but again, I just think it's so powerful. Joey, is there a slow burner off of this album for you? Something that maybe took time for to really grow on you, or oh. you know, yeah, along uh, those lines. Um, probably the last track, the railroad, Railman. Railman. and it, which I I feel like I rediscovered upon listening to it um, in preparation yesterday. That that track is fire, and it's the last track on the album. So it's like you know, did you have time to listen to the whole thing? Right, and it's long. It's like a six plus minute song, right. and so it might be that by the time you get there, you're a little bit exhausted. And I kind of feel like the whole spoken, the monologue intro, which of course was a big thing in the 70s, has not really aged well. Right? No. It's one of those, like, I just want you to get to the singing part. I don't, <laughs> I don't need you to explain stuff to me necessarily. Right. It might be time for a spoken well, intro comeback. Yeah, bring you, it back, Joey. I don't think anybody's yeah. really bring doing that. Back. that. Yeah, I think so. That and skits on the album. We've got to bring those back. I mean, <laughs> I love the spoken word intros. I always think about Cameo and uh, some of their intros. So if you're an aspiring musician or a musician out there and you're thinking about it, just bring these intros back. Go on and do <laughs> it. time. Just be out there. I think one of the sleeper tracks on here or something we haven't talked about today is Greengrass. Mm. 
pharmaceuticals yeah, yeah. i'm saying <laughs> man tranquilizers he says uh, i think in railroad man smoking those funny funny smelling cigarettes mm-hmm. that's a whole nother show this is a it. classic bill withers lyric song like I, like when i think about the movie still bill mm-hmm. and they show him kind of like with these little phrases on notes this whole song is those bill withers phrases yeah those yes. kind of quirky little sort of like paradoxes these opposites these kind of like explaining it all yeah the differences the grass is greener the rich looking at the poor the poor looking at the rich love it great groove too great Mm -hmm. groove yeah yeah we all have our own confusion we all have our Do you think this album was right on time, ahead of its time, or timeless? I think it's both right on time and also timeless. Mm. I think the timeless qualities of it have to do with the issues that are timeless issues. Um, I also think some of the songwriting is timeless. Um, but I also think that it's it's very much like, you know, even the fact that like Ruby Lee, which has a Melvin Dunlap composer credit because of that kind of like funky, funky kind of smooth, slithering bass line. Like that bass line to me is very much a product of just that time. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear that and you're like, oh, OK, I know when this album was recorded. Mm-hmm. So I think it's sort of both for me. Mm-hmm. Um, we ask our guests um, to describe the album that they've chosen in three words. If you had to describe adjustments in three words, what would they be? Human, heartbroken, and therapy. Mm. For the listener or for the singer? For both. I think for both, but I think really for the singer. I mean, definitely both. It's like you, we all project our own situations. But, yeah. yeah. But the record is called Adjustments, right? Which is short for Adjustments. And there's not really, you don't really get a sense that, you don't really get a sense of what those adjustments are necessarily. He's just kind of like taking stock of everything. We haven't gotten into the album title, but can I just raise this point? It's, it is Adjustments, but there's the plus symbol in front of it. What is the plus symbol doing there? For all these years, I don't understand. That was weird. And when you file this, where do you file it? There's no place for like... You know, the top level of shift key keyboard, you know, keys. In well, I thought it was math. You know what I mean? My first, since I'm not good in math, I was like, it's okay for you to be confused. You're not good in this. But I think the cover art, the cover art is him writing on a board, on a board yeah. which to me, thought I, I thought immediately math. But also, too, it's sort of, it's like, this is what this is about. I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you what it's about. And I think he explained that on, um, I think I can bring it up There's real quick. A- yeah, because there's nowhere on the on the record that has the text of what he wrote on that chalkboard, but I think I did find it online and copy pasted it on my phone of what he writes. And it's, yep, I'm gonna read it to you. Yeah, find it here. All right. So the album cover shows Withers writing the following explanation of the title: "Life, like most precious gifts, gives us the responsibility of upkeep." 
we are given the responsibility of arranging our own spaces to best benefit our survival. We have the choice of believing or not, believing in things like God, friendship, marriage, love, lust, or any number of simple but complicated things. We will make some mistakes both in judgment and fact. We will help some situations and hurt some situations. We will help some people and hurt some people and be left to live with it either way. We must then make some adjustments, or as the old people back home would call them, um, plus adjustments. In other words, uh, it's complicated. <laughs> Fair enough. It's complicated. There you go. If you like Bill Withers' Adjustments, then me and Morgan have some suggestions on other albums you might want to check out. My pick would be Inspiration Information by Shuggy Otis from 1974. It is certainly slightly more obscure compared to Withers, uh, but both artists share, I think, a very similar, very eclectic sensibility to their style, including vocally. And also just Inspiration Information is a sublime, sublime album on its own merits. And it's an album that was rediscovered, I think, sometime in the OOs because of a reissue. Uh, and very deservedly, it is one of the just the best albums from the mid-70s. And I think, again, if you like Bill Withers, you like what you heard on Adjustments, you will also like Shuggy with Inspiration Information. My pick would be to revisit Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions, 1972. Oh. A ton of hits on there, and I wouldn't call this an obscure album, um, but I think some... Stevie. It, I mean. it, it's Stevie. <laughs> wouldn't call it an obscure album, but it has some of the songs, um, to me, that are that are my favorite and sometimes don't get mentioned in, in, in the canon. Jesus, Children of America immediately comes to mind. Mm. Um, I love um, All in Love is Fair, and but I also love Visions. So if you wanted to... So if you want to get into something that to me is is a little bit Justmas reminiscent, mm-hmm. I would recommend that Stevie Wonder album. That will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Joey Dosick. What are you working on right now? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles off of tour right now, so I'm working on new music. I'm in, in the lab just writing and recording right now. And where can people find you out there on the interwebs? Oh, they can find me any which way um, out there on, on uh, your social media or on your Spotify or if you want to hold my records. Um, <laughs> all you got to do is type in my name. So just Joey Dosick and all those places. That's right. Very simple. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. 
One last thing. Here is a teaser for next week's episode, which is the first in a three-part series that Morgan, I, and all of you helped to contribute to, where we talk about our comfort albums. And next week's is going to feature Morgan with her starting five comfort albums. What does comfort music mean for you? You know, we say in the church and we sing in the church, How I Got Over. Uh, my soul looks back and wonders how I got over. And usually we're talking about being carried or being lifted, you know, spiritually what lifted us, what took us from point A to point B. And, and obviously the, the, the inference is about God. But when I think of comfort music, I think I will think back on this, like how I got over sonically. What what were the albums? What were the sounds that that, that carried me through? I think comfort music is is music that makes the world seem different. It presents the world differently and it allows you to experience whatever you're experiencing in the world with a soundtrack. And so comfort music for me is that thing I know that I can go to that makes me feel all right when the world has gone mad. And in, in a lot of ways right now, it feels like the world has gone mad. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.